you've just removed the lender as a variable. You know, because for example, if you buy a property um, that refinances into an agency type debt like Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, um, I was having this conversation with a client yesterday. And so the amount of flood insurance he had to buy increased at the refinance. And, you know, we believe we're going to be able to get his four buildings into an exit. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Real Estate Law Podcast. Jason Muth here with Straightforward Short-Term Rentals. And Pride Away Stays, I'm flying solo today because my co-host, Rory Gill, our resident attorney, is off at a real estate closing right now. But um, I wish he was here because we're going to be talking about some really legal things as well. We're talking about building in flood zones and value add if you've already built construction in a flood zone and what to do because water just gets everywhere. And, you know, the, the FEMA flood maps can tell tell one story, uh, but, you know, construction goes on, uh, even despite the maps, you know, and people are insuring themselves, people are making sure that their properties are uh, resistant to whatever water might come in. There is a lot of climate change issue happening right now because, uh, you know, we're all seeing the same disasters on the news. And we have an expert right here who's the vice president of business development at National Flood Experts, DJ McClure, to really help us navigate uh, if you are in a floodplain, if you're building in a floodplain, if you've built in a floodplain, uh, or you have any water issues, you know what to do and how to actually add value to your property. So, DJ, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Jason. <clears throat> Very excited to be here today. So, so tell us, National Flood Experts, like what what do you guys do, like kind of in a nutshell, and then how do you how do you work with the rest of the real estate ecosystem? Sure. Yeah. So we're an engineering company by definition. Um, our president started the company nine years ago. He um, had a dual expertise, you know, both on you know the engineering side of the world and uh, having had experience in the insurance world. And so there was really a an overlap and this underserved um, you know bridge in between the two that the company was really founded on. You know, so our motivation is we help property owners across the country to reduce or even be able to eliminate their flood insurance cost. Um, a lot of different solutions and avenues to get to that finish line. Um, but ultimately that's what we're trying to do in every case. And you're working across the country, right? I mean, Correct. Flood, flood situations are not just coastal, you know, we're dealing with the Midwest as well. Everywhere. Yeah. We're based yeah. in Tampa, but you know, we've done projects in 46 States now. Um, you know, we're waiting for the Dakotas and Wisconsin and Alaska. Mm -hmm. So, Listeners, if you're out there, we want to help you. I've been to, I think I've been to 45 states now. The Dakotas are two of the five I've not been to yet. So I don't really have many connections there. Um, but yes, if you're listening in the Dakotas, like reach out to us. Like, you know, we'll get we'll get DJ and um, national flood experts involved. Uh, let's start by, let, let's really keep it simple at the very start. Like, you know, everyone hears about flooding, FEMA flood maps, that kind of thing. Like start from the very beginning. Like what exactly is all that? If you're someone listening to this podcast and you are looking to do some type of de development, you probably have to know if properties or land that you want to build on are in flood zones, right? Yeah. So let's start with the most basic idea. So the flood maps, you know, are essentially categorized within, you know, a hundred year flood maps. Um, and then you've got areas that are outside of the 100 year, you know, the 500 year and beyond. Uh, kind of an old term, 
a little antiquated and it's not a literal meaning in the way that it's described. But nonetheless, anything that's in a hundred year flood zone, it comes with certain stipulations uh, and requirements. So on the legal side, you know, there's been laws passed, you know, in the seventies essentially that said that any property that's in a hundred year flood zone, any federally backed loan has to require proof of flood insurance. And depending on the type of loan program, it will dictate the limits that that property owner has to has to carry and provide proof of. Um, you know, but just the same, if you're building in a flood zone in a hundred year area, there's going to be permitting requirements that come with that, and those can vary, you know, from state to state. But you know, essentially, the flood maps are to help, you know, further the prevention as much as possible of flooding, you know, around the country. Mm-hmm. And just because a property might be within that hundred year flood zone doesn't mean that it's a bad property. Is that right? That's correct. Uh, you know, they're establishing a certain risk level based on, you know, where they project that water will go during, you know, a certain type of water event. Um, you know, we're in Tampa, so we have a lot of, you know, inlets and little coastal fingers, uh, my neighborhood included. And so, you know, things like when storm surges are happening, you know, understanding, well, what's a two-foot storm surge mean for my neighborhood at high tide? And so the flood maps help us to be able to understand things like this to where, um, you know, I think I'm in an 11-foot flood zone. So, okay, we had a three to four-foot storm surge come through with the most recent hurricane a few months ago, and it was coming through right at high tide. You know, so some of our neighbors were really trying to to measure and understand the elevations of their homes and the seawall just to know like, okay, where's where's water going to go potentially if that actually happens? I'm, I'm going to show a photo right now, right? This is, we have a property in Provincetown, Massachusetts, which is in the very tip of Cape Cod. If you're, if you're listening to this, you're not going to see the photo, but I'm going to show this on the camera. Can you see that DJ? I can. Th- that was last weekend. Uh, wow. at our property in Provincetown. I'm actually going down there tomorrow uh, just to uh, to fix one little thing up. We actually we actually have a basement unit and one uh, one story right above the basement. Uh, my upstairs neighbor happened to be there. We use it as a short term rental, and um, you know this is the first time in the five years we've owned it, five or six years we've owned it, that we actually got a little bit of water in the basement. Got about an eighth of an inch, like in our part of the basement. Years ago, it flooded, and that's why the previous owners sold the property but the all these events are happening in the winter time at king tide or a high tide or super high tide and the storm surge and the groundwater it's all just kind of like creeping up from um what's provincetown bay and you know i look at these properties and you look up and down commercial street these are multi-million dollar houses that exist there okay you know one part of me is like, I'll oh, just knock it all down and have it be a big conservation area. But that's clearly not going to happen, right? I mean, in situations like that, we as owners, you know, we carry the insurance and we fix it, right? That's what you, that's the best you could do, right? Yeah, it's interesting because it's almost algorithmic in a way. There's so many variables that affect, you know, where water's going to go. And, um, you know, as construction continues to build around the country, Every time, you know, some type of infrastructure is added, that changes where water is going to go in the event of, you know, a large rainstorm or, you know, something more severe. Um, You know, so as the flood maps are updated, which in most areas is only about every 12 to 15 years, you know, they're trying to take into account all the new 
changes that have been done both on the preventative side, you know, and with additional infrastructure and construction that's been done on the development side, you know, and trying to better predict uh, for newer construction what's going to happen. You know, unfortunately, there's a lot of older construction that exists around the country. The New England area, you know, has obviously quite a lot. Um, and so you will see some things like that from time to time where, you know, you're seeing water now or maybe you didn't see it before. Yeah. Well, we knew there was water there. I mean, like this is that's not the first time I've seen a photo like that outside mm-hmm. our place, frankly. It is the first time we got a little bit of water inside. But, you know, like as as a property owner, we have a ceramic tile floor downstairs. We have carpet tiles, which, you know, are either going to get thrown away or cleaned. And then on you go. It was a little bit of water. You know, if it happens every so often, it's, you know, so be it. We have sump pumps there. Usually they take care of it. Sometimes they don't. Um, to your point, we actually had some development right across the street from us. So that property is on one side of Commercial Street. The other side, the other side of the street actually has... Um, uh, a water view, right? So it's right there on the beach. We actually think that the construction they did helped. We thought it really helped the water coming to our place. Like we thought it was redirecting the water to an extent, but this was just such an overwhelming event that, mm-hmm. you know, I think that it was difficult uh, in that situation. But let me just continue with that conversation because I think that will lead into a good um, a good question for you. At the very, very end of that street, so the very tip of Commercial Street, on the very tip of Cape Cod, there is a hotel that just transacted, actually. It's called the Provincetown Inn. I think it sold for about $25 million a couple weeks ago. And it is in a floodplain. It is a you know two-level, ho- two-level hotel. And I'm sure that the water I just showed you right there is their entire parking lot in that kind of situation. As you, as an expert, like what would you think should should happen to really add value to that property for these new owners? Like, what are they looking at right now? They knew they bought it in a flood area. What what are what are the things they're considering as they move forward? Well, what's interesting about the flood maps is that they blanket huge areas, right? So you may see um, both inland and coastal areas where you know, areas are being required to purchase flood insurance. And, you know, your property may have seen water, but at the end of the street, they may not have. And so they're probably asking themselves, well, why am I still required to buy flood insurance if my particular property seems to be lesser risk than the rest? And that's kind of the basis where a lot of our projects start. Um, And so when we're looking at a property, we're trying to figure out, it's really two categories. You know, one, has this property been grouped into the flood zone in the masses, as happens all over the country? You know, the flood maps can only go to a certain level of detail. Um, And so, whereas the flood maps are flying high with, you know, the 747s, you know, we're down on the ground level at a building by building level of detail. And so, you know, a property like yours that maybe has seen water multiple times historically, it's really looking into the flood policy. You know, because FEMA's program has some standardization to it to some degree. Um, And so when some of those variables perhaps can be optimized and additional supporting data can be provided to the insurance carrier, those policy costs can be reduced. That's what's really interesting about flood insurance, because it's the only line of insurance that has some, you know, federal regulation, meaning that if I provide information to the carrier that's you know, optimal, they have to reduce the premium, you know, based on their criteria. Um, Other, you know, property insurance, et cetera, they're private, so they kind of do whatever they want. 
So is that where you come in where, you know, a, a property owner or developer can hire national flood experts and saying, hey, listen, like, can my property be taken out of this flood zone for the following reasons? Sure. Yeah. So we look at properties all over the country every week, um, you know, and we're not charging anything up front because, you know, we're a consultant. We're doing these really extensive engineering audits. Uh, we don't know what we're walking into. And so we find a solution about 50% of the time, Jason, that we can, you know, provide something that will then lead to a cost savings. And, you know, there's a variety of things. It's not always changing the flood zone. Uh, a lot of times it's, you know, finding ways to improve the rating of the insurance policy. And largely because FEMA just changed their flood insurance program in the last two years. First time they've done that in over 30 years. And there's been a lot of bumps and a lot of uh, transparency issues that people have had with, you know, why their flood insurance costs have gone up so dramatically. And so we've been able in our team to really break down this new system successfully to find the ways to be able to help these owners get the lowest premium possible for the exact same coverage they had before. Mm -hmm. What what are some of the things that you look at? You mentioned like engineering studies and you're looking property by property. But if someone were to say, hey, you know, can you have a look at our property and see if we can get this premium reduced for because, you know, either we don't think it's in the same flood zone that it used to be in or we don't think that there's as much of a risk. Like, How do you ascertain that? Yeah, so we're breaking down, you know, a, a ton of different variables, both at the building level and doing a flood zone analysis. Um Flood zone, maybe you think of it like an onion. There's a, there's a quite a few different layers to it, you know, not just what you see on the surface. Um, but then our team can actually go into the flood zone in some areas and be able to calculate down to the building level. So you may have 20 buildings on a property and the flood zone elevation could vary by, let's say, a tenth of a foot, you know, from one building to the next. And so it's getting to that really, really granular level of detail. Um, and so it's... It's a fairly objective criteria that FEMA has that we work within. And so if we're able to prove to them with their criteria based on variables that we've analyzed at the building level and with our flood zone analysis, we can show them, hey, look, these 10 buildings meet the criteria to be taken out of the 100-year flood zone. And then legally, the flood insurance requirement by the lenders is then dropped. Mm -hmm. Does that affect the value of the property? Because in theory, if they're not spending as much on flood insurance or have to, you know, that might help with resale or refinancing? It's a great question. Yeah. I always say there's hidden NOI in the flood zones uh, because this is one of those things that people just take at face value. You buy a property, the lender says you have to buy flood insurance to close. And so people buy it and they renew it. It's a bit of a commodity really in the insurance world. Um, and so once the flood insurance requirement has been removed, this lives with the property. And it's mm -hmm. valid for the life of the flood map. You know, like I was saying, those don't update terribly often. And so when it, you go to sell that property to the next person, that transfers automatically. So you're selling a property without a flood insurance requirement. And a lot of our clients have been able to dramatically increase their valuation, you know, as a result of recognizing that NOI growth over the cap rate. You know, as real estate investors, we're always looking for ways to add value to our property, right? You know, whether you are adding on an ADU or you're adding on a bedroom or you are 
you know, squeezing out another unit into a property or something. This is, I'd never even considered the fact that maybe you could bring your premium down and that actually might add to value on the property if it's classified a little bit differently. And and that's that's fascinating. And we're not talking about, like, let's say that, you know, you determine that these 10 buildings don't have to be, you know, don't require flood insurance. They, they actually could still experience water events, right? Right. And let me clarify as well, like they can still buy flood insurance just the same. You've just removed the lender as a variable, you know, because for example, if you buy a property um, that refinances into an agency type debt, like Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, um, I was having this conversation with a client yesterday. And so the amount of flood insurance he had to buy increased at the refinance. And, you know, we believe we're going to be able to get his four buildings into an X zone you know, which is outside of the hundred year, he's going to maintain his primary flood insurance, but you know, the extra tens of thousands that he had to buy because Fannie Mae requires full building replacement value. So he had to go to the private market and get a secondary flood policy, you know, to satiate the lender's requirement. Um, he'll be able to get rid of that extra requirement now. Uh, and that'll be cash flow going forward. Mm-hmm. And that's, what's nice about flood insurance is that once these changes are made, um, it's a year over year impact. It's not like property taxes where you may have to contest it every year. You know, if we make a change to the rating of a flood policy, well, flood policies are assumable at purchase from seller to buyer. And so if we've been able to reduce the premium dramatically on a policy, you as the buyer could adopt that from me and you're able to then carry on realizing, you know, that lower premium. Is there a degree of suspicion a buyer might have if they did some research and realized that you know the property did require flood insurance and now suddenly it doesn't? And maybe one way to overcome that might be whatever reporting that you'd provide to the uh, to the seller. Sure. Yeah. There's a federal document that FEMA issues whenever you know one of these map amendment projects is done, and so a lot of times the sellers will you know add that into their due diligence documentation that they're providing to the buyer just to let them know that this process, you know, may have been done. At least that's what we recommend. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at that point, you know that, you know, you're in a flood zone area, you can talk with your insurance broker um, and then really establish, you know, what the risk tolerance is for that property. If you want to optionally purchase flood insurance at that point. So besides hiring national flood experts for an analysis or in addition to what can some owners or developers do to help um, not mitigate flood if they happen to buy property in flood zones, but what can they do to improve their properties, uh, either infrastructure-wise on site or any other um, you know, situations like hiring experts like yourself to give them some guidance? Like if I'm an owner of this land, it's in a flood zone, like what are some things I could do to prepare? Yeah. So when you look into, you know, development sites that are in, you know, hundred year flood zones, depending on the state, they may have to build the first floor one to two feet over the flood zone elevation, right? So when you get a basic topography survey done of your area and you figure out, okay, my land is at 10 feet. Well, the flood zone may be at 11 feet. So let's say that you're in, you know, one of the, you know, Gulf Gulf Coast states, maybe we got to be two feet over that. So then this is what you're trying to figure out. Well, am I going to elevate the foundations by bringing in some outside dirt? Or maybe can I move around some soil, you know, within the existing uh, property parcel? Or do I then choose to elevate 
by a higher foundation or something similar. And the more extreme scenarios, they may have to build it on stilts even to be able to get it, you know, high enough for permitting to be approved. But, you know, anything that's built, something I learned early on when I joined the company, because I'm not an engineer, right? Just know enough, you know, being dangerous, working with, you know, probably, you know, a few thousand of these cases now over the last six years is that everything is built with the intention of where is water going to go? And so a lot of times when you see these really pretty, you know, retention ponds that have been added to new developments, it's largely because dirt was brought in to elevate the foundation or the building pads for those structures. Well, when you bring in dirt, you have to also take out dirt somewhere else. So there's a net zero impact. And so a lot of times that's what you're seeing is that preventative measures are being done on the flood side because the building levels are always going to be, well, generally higher than that of a parking lot. So it's not uncommon to see some pooling of water on parking lots, but it never reaches, you know, the building footprint or, you know, even close to that building first floor elevation. Yeah. Well, water is just the bane of the existence of lots of people, homeowners, real estate developers. Uh, you know, we experienced it both with the, the, uh, event that we just had recently here in the Northeast uh, at multiple properties of ours. And, you know, we're kind of working our way through that situation, but I don't think we're in a flood zone here in at least where we're recording. Um, DJ, what are you guys working on these days? Like, you know, it's uh, how are you guys growing your business and, you know, what are some new opportunities that you guys see? Yeah. I mean, we're really trying to expand our footprint across, you know, the real estate world. We do, I would say 50% of our projects every year are in the multifamily apartment space. Um, we find generally the highest percentage of solutions and the biggest impacts in these types of properties. You know, but we've done projects within all the different verticals, hotels, industrial, self-storage, uh, high rise, et cetera. And, you know, now with, FEMA's program really in full effect. You know, we're seeing really dramatic scenarios um, where we're able to help. And so FEMA introduced this new concept that I think is really important for everyone to understand. Um, it's called the full risk premium. And what that means is uh, compared to FEMA's program a few years ago, you know, you'd have a premium cost you paid every year and then it would go up depending on what FEMA set as their increases for the different categories of, of property types. Well, in the new system, they, their new risk rating 2.0 system, it's called, uh, every program or every property was given a full risk premium when they transitioned into this program. And that is the ceiling price. This is the finish line dollar value that your policy is going to continue increasing until it reaches that dollar value. Well, what we have found is that there's a lot of properties where when we're able to go in and help optimize and improve the rating, we've been able to bring down that full risk premium. And so the year over year impact that that creates is dramatic because properties will increase 18% until they reach that full risk premium. And so you see a lot of low dollar values because they had legacy flood policies. And so they may be at a low dollar value today, but their full risk premium might be 5X or 10X of what they're paying today. Mm -hmm. So it's an important dollar amount to look at when you buy a property, just to understand the glide path of where your policy is going. And then if we're able to optimize the rating and lower that full risk premium, 
Well, now you can really look at your forecasting for the next three to five years and know more or less where your flood insurance cost is going to be. All costs that aren't included in that big number that you see on the computer screen when you want to buy a property, right? This is this, These are all the costs of ownership and the cost of development. Yeah. And flood insurance is not broken out generally on the T12. You know, it's just built into the total insurance cost. So we try to work with, you know, buyers to really separate that out and understand the difference. You know, there's certain industries, you know, like elder care industries, uh, big climate change situations where you're helping, uh, you know, developers in situations where climate change is affecting us everywhere. Uh, those industries are not going to go away. You know, they seem pretty bulletproof. So, you know, we think that, you know, maybe you found yourself a good niche here at National Flood um, Experts in in working with development. Development's not going to change. Development is going to be in whatever land we could find. And a lot of that land is going to be in a flood zone. Um, and who knows if those maps will change over time. Um, you know, excluding properties from flood areas was not something I was aware of, uh, which is fascinating to hear here. And I really appreciate hearing a lot about the value add that, you know, hiring someone like you can do to someone that's actually looking to make some money developing real estate. Um, so why don't we get to our final couple of questions uh, that we ask of all of our guests right here, just to kind of wrap the interview up and learn a little bit more about you as a person. And then we'll let everyone know where they could reach out to you if they want to learn more about your services. Sure. Um, we ask these of all of our guests. The first question is if you can get on stage for half an hour and talk about any subject in the world with zero preparation, what would that be? Well, in my past life, I was a tennis pro. And so, you know, I have a pretty big passion for getting kids into sports. And, you know, I had a program, uh, this was the bulk of my twenties. I say tennis was my, my sales training. And so I worked primarily with six to 12 year olds for a number of years. And so I could get on stage for a half hour and sell an entire audience on why they should get their kids into tennis all the life skills, the athletic skills, the social skills um, that come from a sport like tennis. Uh huh. Did you play professionally at all? Like I played in college and then taught professionally. Um, really, as I say I got a master's degree in kids for you know how to really build the athletic skills that made teaching tennis very easy. You have that like tennis player look to you now that you say that. So, you know, just thank you. How your how your your body is shaped from what I could see. <laughs> Do you have kids yourself? I don't. I uh, love kids. Have a bunch of nieces and nephews. Um, but uh not in the cards for me. Perfect type, you know, kids you can play with and give back to their parents. That's what I always said. I got kids for the best two hours, you know, of the day. <laughs> Uh, second question we have for you. Tell us something that happened early in your life or career that impacts the way that you're working today. You know, I would say that I had um, some really impactful, you know, mentors early on that really, I, I think, brought some insight to my personality and how you could really make that a tangible skill. I've always been a talker and, you know, just kind of enjoyed the interaction of people. And so, you know, I just remember being in school and someone said, oh, you're, you're going to be in sales one day. Um, and you just, you know, you don't really think about things when you're young and what those mean. And it's just funny enough, like how you, you really start to understand yourself more as you get older. And, you know, I was a psychology major in college. And so like really taking like personality profiles and, 
really leaning into the strengths of what makes you, you. Um, and I was just fortunate that I had some people when I was young that, you know, took an interest and, and really pointed out and helped give me some direction. Yeah. I mean, sales requires lots of skills. I mean, people have lots of opinions of salespeople, um, you know, and they run the gamut, but you know, there's an elegancy to sales, you know, it's really trying to solve a problem for somebody and listening to what, what their, what their issues are and their concerns are, and then addressing them, you know, with a solution. That's really what it comes down to. In my first sales job interview, like outside of tennis, he asked, the guy asked me to describe my understanding of the sales process. And I told him about what the five minute, the first five minutes of a tennis lesson is like, where you meet someone, build rapport, figure out what the problem is and create a solution quickly and then implement. So it's funny how, you know, the translatable certain skills can be uh, from one to the next. Yeah. I was always told like, you know, it's like a third getting to know each other just on that sales call, a third discussing, you know, what the task is at hand, a third trying to close it basically. Um, final question we have, tell us something you're listening to or watching or reading these days. Watching or listening. Um, you know, I'm re-listening to, um, a couple books, but you know, most recently this is kind of funny, but we're re-watching Ted Lasso, you know, and th that, that show, if you've seen it on Apple TV, obviously it's entertaining in a lot of ways, but it's funny how many like messages they kind of build into that, into that show, you know, the character that that coach plays, not knowing anything about professional soccer, but then being able to come over and captivate and inspire an audience. And, you know, it's really just got me creatively thinking on a lot of ways, how to better inspire and motivate, you know, our company here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So many amazing characters on that show. We haven't yeah. had a chance to watch all that many shows the past few years, having a, almost five-year-old but i mean we definitely caught ted lasso and you know each i don't know the new characters names but i could picture each one of them and they all have their own value mm -hmm. to the show right like a really classic sitcom that we remember from like the 80s 90s each character right. has their own lane very very similar there um well that's great well dj uh we're going to put all your information in the show notes here if people want to reach out to you but what's the easiest way that they can learn a little bit more about what you do and how how you could help you know some of our listeners I encourage uh, people to go to our website. We've really put a, a large effort into building some educational content and some video content as well, case studies and testimonials from clients. So that way you can really understand, you know, where you maybe might fit um, nationalfloodexperts.com. And then if you'd like to have us, you know, start a conversation about one of your properties, uh, info at nationalfloodexperts.com, you know, we'll come to our team and have someone uh, respond back to you quite quickly. Awesome. And if you're still listening to the podcast at this point, you're probably super interested in the subject. So maybe people will be reaching out to you. Um, if you've uh, enjoyed this episode, we really appreciate all of your support, your comments and five-star ratings. So please feel free to do that. If you want to reach out to us and want to be a guest in the podcast or have questions for me or for DJ, uh, you can go to realestatelawpodcast.com. You'll see all the episodes there and all the ways to reach out to us are right there. Uh, so DJ, thank you so much for being on the podcast. We really appreciate all your insights and learning a lot more about, you know, uh, FEMA and flood insurance and, and ways to reduce premiums and ways to add value to properties. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. And thank you for listening. <laughs>